Alongside Seth Goldberg, I'm Stephen Fonte. It's a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Duntire. 315-437-7644. If you'd like to get involved, two main topics today. You can guess what those will be. SU basketball, of course, coming off a double-digit loss to Virginia on Saturday. Back in action tonight on the road in Louisville. We will hear from Adrian Autry in our number one, as we do every Monday. The Orange down in Kentucky, getting ready to face the cards. We'll also hear from Jason Anderson. He works with ESPN Radio in Louisville. He'll join us in our number two. And, of course, we're going to talk some Super Bowl, and we want to hear from you on that topic, 315-437-7644. How was your weekend, Seth? Uh, let's say, uh, let's say, uh, down then up. Look, I, I don't care if SU wins or loses at this point. Like, I'm, I'm past that, right? Much, much as you are. Uh, but that game was just terrible to watch, right? Like, it, like, it was going so well, relatively. Like, it was slow. The pace was, you know, a little slow, but there was enough offense through like the first 10 minutes to make that an interesting game. And then, like it just wasn't for the next thirty minutes, and it was just a boring game, and one team couldn't score. Uh, and then it, it ended on a high note. I thought the Super Bowl was really entertaining. Super Bowl was fantastic. I thought it was great. That fourth quarter in particular, fantastic. Um, so, did you do any Super Bowl boards, like squares? Squares? No, I did not. I did not. So I, I did not actively seek them out. My dad, who's who's down in Florida, he did a board, and so he says, "Hey, do you do you want to you know do you want to buy in?" And like, I don't have a rooting interest in this game. You know, I was rooting against the Patriots, but to me, it's a little more fun if you've got some squares. So of I said, course, I said, "Sure." I said, "What are your numbers?" He goes, "Well, tell me first. Are you going to buy in, or you're not going to buy in?" Because I'm not telling you my numbers ahead of time. So it's like, fine, <laughs> I'll buy in. So we split the squares, and then he sends me the numbers. Six and nine, six and seven, eight and one. I was like, these are not coming up. And then there's missed extra points, and there's guys going for two, and the numbers get all screwed up. Long story short, I hit the end of the third quarter. There you go. So that was exciting. How about all the people who hit on two two well, at right. the end of at, at the <laughs> half? Thought, right. I mean, like that. That's an that's an insane number to have in a Super Bowl square. So I hit the end of the third quarter. Win a little money. That's great. And then Tom Brady fumbles away the Super Bowl in the closing minutes, and the Patriots lose. And it was a fantastic, entertaining game, especially the fourth quarter. It was a good night. It was a very good yeah. night. So I thought it was. I thought it was a really good game. Uh, defense optional. That's the part that surprised me. We talked about this last week, and I, you know, I was all about Philly, and I said yeah. before the playoffs started, I think they're going to the Super Bowl. I think they got a chance. We were talking about the matchup. I said, I, you know, Nick Foles, I think he can be good enough. Um, I was not expecting, you know, I, my whole point was, well, they're with their running game and that defense, and you know, I think Nick Foles could be good enough. I think they can win. What did I say? First team to twenty four wins. Yeah. Well, they went a little bit. Yeah, what well, Philly did get to 24 first, by the way. But, they did, but that's uh, not why they won. But that's not why they won. I, they, but, they outscored the Patriots. I was not expecting that part of it, but I'm not shocked that the Eagles won this game. I find it fascinating, though. Like, we, we look at that game, and, uh, you know, usually in the Super Bowl, the defense comes up and makes some pretty big plays, right? Like, we, we expected the Eagles to get some sacks. So they got one. 
you know, the Patriots made what it was one a pretty big one. Right. Right, but they there was one sack in the whole game. Uh, there was two turnovers in the whole game, one on that sack and one on an interception that was kind of the wide receiver's fault. Uh, like it, it was amazing. Like I, I came in this morning and I half jokingly said to you uh, when you walked in, what there were three defensive plays made. There was the sack fumble. There was uh, there was the interception. The interception about. And then there was the third and one. That JHI got stopped on that didn't matter because the Eagles converted fourth down. Like, it, it was incredible. Like, I, I was amazed by this. Like, I, I expected these two teams to play good enough defense. Um, and instead, we got Tom Brady throwing for 500 yards in a Super Bowl and losing. First like, that time was nuts. First time it's ever. Forget about Super Bowl. Forget about postseason history. It is the first time ever. In the NFL, where a quarterback threw for at least 500 yards, had three touchdowns, no picks, and lost. First time ever. Can I go one step further? Sure. Had Tom Brady completed the Hail Mary at the end of the game, right? Like, and added those 51 yards, he would have thrown for the most yards ever in an NFL game. Not a Super Bowl. Not a playoff game. Any game. Like, that's how good he was. In that game last night. So and how did that happen? How I don't did, know. How did that happen? How did the Patriots put up those numbers and put up that many points and lose the game to a team that was the underdog? Well, and how did they put up that many points? How did they put up those numbers and lose to a team that left six points on the field in the first quarter? Like, you know what I mean? Like, everybody's like, oh, well, the Eagles just played a perfect game. Like, they didn't. No, they didn't. They didn't. Like, they very much did not play a perfect game. And they still won, and they were still able to get over the hump and beat that Patriots team. Like, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure how they did it. Biggest uh, play of the game was? The strip sack. Okay. Second biggest play of the game. The, In terms the, of, the, I, when the, I look at the, the momentum. The play touchdown. Yes. That was, to me, I was going to say that was the biggest play of the game. You're right. In terms of what decided the game, the strip sack decided the game. But the biggest play of the game, to me, was the trick play on the fourth down, and they sure. rolled the dice, and it was a play that they obviously had worked on. And they worked it to perfection. I mean, when Nick Foles kind of creeps up to the line of scrimmage, you think he's going to say something to his offensive lineman, and then he stops, and then they snap the ball. I mean, it was. Didn't you love that? How, was perfectly executed. Didn't you love how the Patriots just tried the same thing and didn't work? Yeah, it was like, hey, we're going to do this, we're gonna, and we're going to. I like. We're going to make it work. Um, I, I mean, Foles got a better throw to him. He did. Uh, but Brady still should have caught it and probably still could have been running. Uh, you know, there was nobody there. But it, it that that play turned the tides a little bit. Um, that strip sack at the end, though, I, I mean, they got the ball back with 220 left. The Patriots got the ball back, 220 left on a touchback at their own 25-yard line. They just had, in the second half, three 75-yard touchdown drives. There was no doubt in my mind they were going down and scoring a touchdown and winning. There, yeah, was, there was no. We, we, how many times have we seen that? Story? I was going to say I've seen it before, and you know Chris Collinsworth kept saying that even after the Eagles got yes. the ball back. Chris Collinsworth and I'm right like, with him saying, go "Yes, score. I know. Yes, I know. They're going to tie this game. They're going to go down. It's going to come down to a two point conversion, whether or not it goes into overtime. But it, but it didn't. Um, you know, you say the the Foles touchdown. You know, kind of sort of. Tur- I mean that. That was huge. I mean, that went from it could have still been a one-possession game, and as well as the Eagles played in that first half, had they gone into the locker room and it was a one-possession game and, and the Patriots got the ball back to start the, the second lead. half, you, yeah, the Patriots go down and score, they take the lead. Um, that play, in my mind, 
you know, shifted the momentum. And, and the Eagles kind of sort of had the momentum anyway, but to punch that in and to, deliver, to, to deliver that statement and for Doug Peterson to say, we didn't come here to play conservative. We came here to win this game yeah. and to go forward on fourth and goal if we get in close. Um, and then to do it in that fashion and oh, to kind of punch the Patriots in the mouth on the way into the locker room. I thought that was the play of the game. And, and yes, the strip sack, you know, kind of sort of sealed it. Patriots still had a chance. Did, Gronk came a lot closer to catching that ball than he probably should have. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, it was very similar to the second Giants Super Bowl win when they had a chance at the end and they threw it up to Gronk and like he was hurt and he just barely missed it. Like I had that same feeling because I, I, I tweeted this out last night, but I, I remember sitting there as a Giants fan. And you just had this terrible feeling that they were gonna go complete the pass all the way downfield to Gronk for a touchdown, and like this was just gonna get taken away on a last second hail mary. And I had that feeling again, like last night. Like you, you're just, you know, you, you, in the back of your mind, you're just like, this guy is the best. He's got some monster running downfield who's six foot six and just catches. And in the second half of that game, was catching everything yes. that went his way. And you just look at him and you're like, this is going to be caught. Like there was there was nothing else that I was thinking in that game. I thought that game, I thought that pass was going to get caught because that that was the way it was going for the Patriots in the second half. The last touchdown night. to Ertz, you being a neutral observer. That was a touchdown. It, I thought the same thing. As soon as it happened. I didn't know if the first one was. It, well, right. The exactly. one, the, the Clement one. I wasn't sure if that was a touchdown. The Ertz one was clearly a touchdown. I thought both of them. And they, I think at the end of the day, they got them both right. Yes. But as soon as Ertz scored that touchdown, I said to my son, I said, watch, they're going to review this for about five minutes. They're going to overthink it. They're going to overturn it. I'm glad that they didn't. But isn't that isn't that the catch that we've been seeing all year that they they overthink it and they find yes. a way to see that it's incomplete? Well, b- both of them are. Right? And that that's why I thought the first one more so because you could like see the ball kind of sort of jiggle. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, they're going to overthink this. Like to the, to anybody's common sense, that's a catch, right? And and I, you know, you, the thought that pops into my head is you've got seventy million people here who are watching football for the first time since last year's Super Bowl, and they're going to be like, "How is this even a question? Like right. that's a catch, right?" And and so that's like the common sense rule. All these people who never watch football are saying that's a catch, right? Like that's plain and simple. That's a catch. And yet Chris Collinsworth is like, "I don't think that's a touch. Like I don't think that's a touchdown because we've seen this so many times." The Ertz one. That's when like they get way too ahead of themselves, and they're like, "Oh, he took four steps. Didn't, Is he really a runner?" Like, yes. Didn't that kind of feel like or remind you of the Steelers Patriots game? No, uh, yes, but no. Ertz took four steps before he dove. Like Jesse James caught, turned, and fell in one motion. You know, like I, I saw the difference between the two. Like at at the point that Ertz reached out and spiked the ball, he was a runner, right? He dove. They were that the was, same. That was a lot closer. <laughs> to, it was a lot closer I mean, to the. I think yes. the Ertz catch was a lot closer to Des Bryant. Okay, you're right. Ertz maybe took an extra step. I, I and I see what you're saying. It, they were both catches. I think they got obviously. I think they got the Steelers yes. Patriots one wrong. I'm glad they got the one right last night though, because that could have very well changed the outcome of the game. Right? I mean, if they if they don't call that a touchdown, yes. that could have very. Totally I mean, different. It's right. I mean, it's. You know, they settle for a field goal instead of a touchdown, and, you know, Patriots, you know, can do Patriot things at that point. I mean, they still had a chance, and then the strip sack kind of changed things in the final minute. But what a game. We've been treated to some great championship games, and, and last night was another thriller. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the Super Bowl, there's a, a long stretch where it was terrible. 
right? Like it was a lot. There was a long stretch where these games were just awful. Um, you know, for the most part, the '80s games weren't competitive. The '90s weren't all that competitive. Uh, the Giants and the Ravens at the beginning of the 2000s wasn't competitive. But kind of since then, like, the games have been pretty good. Like, since the mid-ish 2000s, uh, you know, you've got the two Giants-Patriots Super Bowls that were good. The the three first Patriot wins were all really good. That Seahawks win, uh, uh, the Patriots-Seahawks game was good. Uh, last year had a good ending. Uh, the, the Steelers-Cardinals, you know, so... Ever since kind of the the early mid two thousands, you've gotten some really good games. It's a total turn from where it was. One of the stories that I think is is being is talked about quite a bit today, and maybe wasn't last night, is the the Malcolm Butler story. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Let's take a quick time out. Want to hear from you at three one five four three seven seventy six forty four, and we're going to talk plenty of SU basketball, but more Super Bowl talk on the other side. Why did Malcolm Butler not play? We'll get back to that right after this. You're listening to Orange Nation on ESPN Radio. Live from the dboffers.com, powered by Drivers Village Studio. This is ESPN Radio. 97.7 FM, Syracuse. And 100.1 FM, Oswego. Live from Armory Square. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We are powered by Drivers Village. Phone lines open at 315 437 76 44. So, why did Malcolm Butler not play? Well, he did play, played one snap on special teams. A guy who played 96% of defensive plays during the season. That's the highest percentage of anybody on the Patriots. Played one played, snap, one special the, team snap. He played the most snaps out of anybody on the Patriots defense this year. And he played one snap in the Super Bowl. Does I don't this get make it. sense to you? No, no, not at all. I thought, I kept thinking. Oh, Malcolm Butler's not out there for the first series. Maybe the second one, right? Like, maybe this is a dumb, you know, disciplinary thing. Okay, not the first quarter. Maybe the second. No? Okay, not the first half. Maybe after halftime. And he just never came out. And and I was really surprised that he never played. I think, I quite honestly, I think it cost them the game. Because you look at some of the plays early before they put Stephon Gilmore on, uh, on Alshon Jeffrey. And, and Jeffrey was just killing them. I mean, he was just burning them. He scored the touchdown. He kept getting a couple big chunk yardage plays. Uh, you know, and then once Gilmore went on Jeffrey, it was everybody else, right? Nelson Aguilar started killing them. So if you had another, you know, really, really good defensive back, like that that could have helped you. I, I, I really think that cost them the game. And I'm not quite sure why he didn't play. I feel like it goes back to last offseason when he had uh they they were, you know, close to trading him. Right, like his name was in the rumors for the, uh, his name was in the rumors for the Brandon Cooks trade, like all off season, and then magically they ended up with Cooks and Malcolm Butler, and nobody knew why. Um, I don't know. It felt very weird. Two things here. If this was a disciplinary thing, then just say it. it right. It doesn't feel like it was. It doesn't. It feels like it was a benching, and so that's the second thing. If this was truly a benching, and if this was truly, well, it was matchups, and that was the reason that they gave. That was what Matt Patricia said. That was what Bill Belichick said. And Bill Belichick backed it up about half an hour ago, uh, saying, I respect Malcolm's competitiveness. I'm sure he felt like he could have helped. In the end, we have to make the decisions that are best for for the football team. That's really all I can say about that. If it truly was matchups and we're going to play the guy who gives us the better chance to win, how many times have we heard that 
It's what Sean McDermott said when they benched Tyrod Taylor. Doesn't give us the best chance to win. I hate that line. But right. if it was truly this guy you know, that we're starting gives us a better chance to win than the guy that we're benching, in this case, Malcolm Butler, it wasn't like this was a 21-20 game. It was 41-33. to At some point, right. don't you see if the guy who, you know, won you the Super Bowl a couple years ago, don't you see if that guy can make a play? Yeah, don't you want to put your second-best defensive player, probably, I would say probably second-best, best or second-best defensive player on the field? Like, I just, I, I just don't get it. Like, this was a game that needed more defense, and and he's there. Like, he was standing on the sidelines. I just, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't understand it. Um, I'm very confused by it. I, look, I think that, the, again, goes back to last offseason, um, you know, if, if that's how you wanted to depress his free agency value and, and bring him back next year, that's a really weird time to decide to do it. Uh, I don't think that's what it was. I, I just, I don't know. Do you think this is an ego thing? Do you think this yeah. is Bill Belichick saying, yeah, I, well, I think it is. I mean, that's that's my feeling on it. And as much as we look at Bill Belichick's greatness and best to ever do it, and he's a genius, didn't he kind of sort of cost them? I mean, you you just, I think you the, just laid I it think out there. I think that decision cost them the game. His stubbornness, yes. and again, this is my take on it, and if something happened behind the scenes or leading up to the game, then it would be nice for the Patriots to say something. But well, if he, this, he reportedly missed the flight, right, but that was because he, he was sick. sick. Right. So he supposedly missed the flight. He, he arrived a day late in Minneapolis because he was sick. And apparently really sick. He was in the hospital. He was being right. hospitalized, is what they said. So if this was... You know, he was sick, or he wasn't 100%, or he was hurt, or he did something leading up to the game and it was disciplinary action. All we have to go on is what the Patriots are saying. And what the Patriots are saying, the two decision makers in particular, the defensive coordinator and the head coach, are saying this was about matchups. And this was, we put the, the guy who gave us a better chance to win on the field. And if that is indeed the case, at some point... During this game where you gave up 41 points and the Eagles could do anything they wanted to on offense, at some point you would think you would back down and say, you know what, maybe I made the wrong decision here. Or let's you know, let's give him a try. Let's mix something up. Let's change something. He saw the field for one special team snap. And if that's an ego thing, again, everybody looks at, at Bill Belichick and they bow down to him as he's the greatest. Right. And, I don't know. I, also, I think this is a this is a black mark against him in in my book. Unless we find out something else that you know ha- happened with Malcolm Butler. Look, Steve. Also, if this truly was a this matchup gives us the best chance, right? Like if if that's truly what it was, um, then wouldn't Malcolm Butler have known more than you know the fifteen twenty minutes before the game that he wasn't playing? Wouldn't Al- Eric Rowe, who replaced him, know more than you know right before kickoff that he was going to play like every snap? You know that's what doesn't make any sense. The guys came out afterward, and Eric Rowe was like, "I didn't know until the, the game started." They were like, "Hey, you're you're playing." Like, wouldn't if it really was about matchups? Wouldn't the guys involved have known on like Wednesday? I don't get it. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Like none of like none of it makes sense. You think something else is there, or do you th- do you think this was truly they made a decision and? Belichick just stood by his decision. This is what we decided. I th- I, yeah, I think I think they just decided we're we're not playing them. <laughs> I just don't like, understand. I, I don't have any other good rationale for it. Like I I think they just were like, you know what, we're just not going to play our second best defensive player. I I have no good reasoning. I I can't come up with a reason for it.
You know, and then part of the explanation was, well, Elshon Jeffrey is a bigger receiver, and you know, so you go with Rowe, who's who's two inches taller and fifteen pounds heavy. Like really, like at the but end he of, wasn't guarding him. It just doesn't. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like he he didn't end up guarding. That him was one of the reasons they gave. Right. That was one of the reasons right. they but, gave. But then Eric Rowe was terrible against him, and you put Stephon Gilmore on him. So like, what? I I I can't understand it. So the game plan that you wanted to go with, you were like, oh, we've got this idea that Eric Rowe is bigger, so maybe he'll guard Stephon Gilmore more. Uh, or maybe he'll guard Alshon Jeffrey better. Well, like four plays in, you could realize that wasn't working. Like they targeted him, targeted him what, three times in the first five passes? Like you knew that wasn't working. I, I don't... Like we always look at Belichick and we're like, he's the great... Great at adjustments. Great at eating game adjustments. Like, isn't that the most obvious slap you in the face big big game adjustment that you can make? Yeah, that and, hey, we should throw it to Gronk more in the second half. And then they did, and Gronk and almost, did, right. almost wins the game for him. So, yeah, I mean, they made one proper adjustment on offense, did not make what we believe would, would have been the proper adjustment on defense. I feel like there's more to the story. There has and to if be. there isn't, then that's even more head-scratching. Like, if there is nothing more to the story, if this is truly Coach's decision and he was just too stubborn to change his mind, like, to me, like, that's it's inexcusable in the Super Bowl. I yes. just, I, I don't understand it. If there's more to the story, I would love to hear that. You know, the Patriots are the kind of team that, you know, they, they do. They keep everything in-house. But based on what Malcolm Butler said, based on what his teammates said, based on what the coaches have said, it seems like everybody's on the same page with this. This was a benching. Bill Belichick also said, quote, there's more that goes, it would be a much longer discussion. I, I I think people would like to hear the discussion. He's obviously in his doghouse, but why? Was right. it miss curfew? Was it right. he do something else wrong? Was it Here, is it strictly, you know, he didn't practice right leading Mike, up to the game? Mike Reese from ESPN transcribed the whole question and the whole answer here. Uh, a, a whole question and a whole answer. Uh, question, after the game, it was mentioned that the players and game plan were put out there that gave you the best chance to win. A lot of people who follow the team and invest emotionally were curious as to what that was specific to Malcolm Butler, who had played pretty much every play this season and wasn't out there in the Super Bowl. Could you detail that for those people who follow the team and feel an emptiness and would like to understand it? Belichick replies, quote, I appreciate the question, but it would be a much longer discussion. There are a lot of things that go into that. In the end, the final decision is what I said it was. Like, don't you think if the like the fans would like to hear that longer discussion? Well, of course. Um, I think everybody would like to hear. Um, and maybe even Malcolm Butler. I don't know if Malcolm Butler cares. He's going to go and cash in somewhere else. What's the matter? He's never playing for Bill Belichick again. What's it matter? He made it to the Super Bowl and didn't get to play. He's got a ring. He knows he's the Super Bowl hero. He knows that there was some stupid, stubborn nature that, that well, didn't let him in. If it and didn't it, matter to him, he wouldn't have been balling during the National well, Anthem. Yeah. So it mattered to him. But my point being, he's already got his two rings. He he probably knows that it was something stupid, stubborn, and petty. And he's going to leave and cash in. Like, at the end of the day, like, it stinks. You would have rather played. If you play, you probably have three rings. But you probably also knew before the game you weren't coming back. You probably knew before the season that you were never playing for them again. You certainly know now. Right. 315-437-7644. We're going to take a timeout back after this on Orange Nation. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. Full lines open at 315-437-7644. We'll leave 
Super Bowl on the table if you'd like to talk about last night's game. We are going to switch gears, though, and uh, and talk some SU men's basketball now. Uh, you mentioned that it was a you know mixed reviews for your your weekend. You enjoyed the Super Bowl. Sunday was fun. Uh, Saturday, not too much fun watching slash covering that game inside the Dome. It, it went... I was going to say the way we expect. I think you and I both thought SU would play better. I, we didn't expect Syracuse to necessarily win the game, but we thought it was going to be a closer game. Virginia. I didn't expect Syracuse to put up their fewest points ever in the Carrier Dome. If you don't play well against Virginia, that is what you get. Yes. And Syracuse played fairly well in Charlottesville and hung in there. They did not play well on Saturday. And when you do not play well against that team, especially that defense, that's what's going to happen. I mean, they they suffocate you on defense. They are so efficient on offense, and it's you know it's close midway through the first half, and then Syracuse goes on that drought from what it was about the seven minute mark to under a minute left in the first half. They just did not score, and Virginia just little by little they nickel and dime you to death. They you know they they steadily build that lead from two, and then all of a sudden it's double digits. And when you get behind double digits, generally you don't come back. Now I know that we've seen it a couple of times against this opponent in the last two years. You generally do not come back, and they did not come back on Saturday. Virginia is eighty nine and three under Tony Bennett when they have a halftime double digit lead, and two of them against 89 Syracuse. Eighty nine and three, yeah. And the other one was a double di- was a double overtime loss at Virginia Tech. Like they they don't lose these games. Like they get up double digits at the half and they stay up double digits like through the game. Uh, it, it is incredible what they do. It is incredible what they did on Sunday uh, on Saturday. I should say there was a 17 minute stretch from the seven minute mark of the fir- of the first half through the 10 minute mark of the second where the Orange scored nine points. Nine points. I mean, that is terrible. Awful. They were outscored 28-9 to over that 17-minute stretch. And this is going to sound hilarious. They, like, if you take out that 17 minutes, right? Like, that, that stretch decided the game because Syracuse outscored Virginia the other time. Like the rest the of the other game, twenty three minutes. Yeah, the the other twenty three minutes before and after Syracuse outscored Virginia, but Virginia had this seventeen minute stretch in the middle where Syracuse had two six minute scoreless droughts and scored nine points in seventeen minutes. You're right; it does sound ridiculous because that's about half the game. So no, I know for but, half the game the, they hung in there. But the, the point, they, but the I point know being, mean. like you look at this insane stretch where Virginia clamped down and Syracuse just went absolutely ice cold and couldn't make anything. Like, it, that's a long time to have that kind of dominance. Like, normally you see it for, what, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes? 17 minutes? This team has flaws, obviously, on the offensive end. And I really don't know what the solution is. And you don't expect them to get healthy against Virginia. I mean, Virginia's the best defensive team in the country. So the fact that they only scored 44 points, I don't want to say you give them a pass, but, like, you get it. Like, I... That was their worst offensive output in five years. No, I know, but you get it, because that, that's Virginia, and you, you, you know it's going to be low scoring. Now, you didn't think it was going to be that low scoring. The problem is, we're not even batting an eye when you say, well, they, they went six and a half minutes without a point. This team, like, that's what this team has done. They've yes. been so inconsistent. Like, it isn't even out of the ordinary for this team to go ice cold or to go these long stretches where they don't score. I, I don't know what the answer is, because if... Well, the if, answer is Torian Thompson, but well, that's not an answer. Yeah. Um, 
Because if, if all these other, like if we didn't have all this all these other games to go by, we would say, you know, well, that's just Virginia, you know, clamping down and doing what Virginia does. It's more than that, though. This is it, it, Saturday was a combination of Virginia doing what Virginia does, and frankly, Syracuse doing what Syracuse does, and they just go these stretches where they can't score. Yeah, Steve, I was going to say it's more than Virginia just doing what Virginia does because they scored fifty-five points against a very average defensive Georgia Tech team, and they scored what in the fifties against a not very good. Uh, Pittsburgh team a week ago. So uh, this is not. This is. Uh, it, it is much more to me than this Absolutely. is what Virginia does. Like, and, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, you know, post game. Post game, I'm sitting in Jim Beheim's press conference, and he goes, "You know, Virginia's a really good defensive team. They're the best defensive team in the nation." Like, yeah, you're not wrong. Then you walk into the locker room. Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, Merrick Dolzhai, uh, anybody you talk to. Well, they're the best defensive team in the country. And I just, like, you're not wrong, but I just find it very interesting that you're all saying the same exact way. Like, that's why we had issues. Like, oh, they're the best defensive team in the country. Like, oh, okay. What happened four days ago? Because they're not the best defensive team in the country. Like, you know, like, it's, like, that's a very easy way to explain away your problems on Saturday. I guess this is, this is my, the point that I'm trying to make. Is that they scored forty four points, and I know you said it's the you know their lowest point total in five years. The part that I guess is surprising to me is that I'm not even surprised that they scored forty four points. Does that make sense? Yeah, like that is my takeaway sure. from Saturday is that they lost by fifteen. The game was not competitive. They scored forty four points, and, and I'm not like, surprised. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that like, happens. I did think they were going to play better. Like, they shot the ball well against BC. That was the last home game. They have played well at home for the most part. They, for the did, most not, part. they did not score against Notre Dame. But Virginia Tech, I mean, they, they played they played well. They have played well at home and for they, the most part. And they had played Virginia very well on the road. In the past years. Right. In the last three years, they've played them well. They played them well in Charlottesville. They were coming off of two losses well, two bad performances offensively. The Georgia Tech was a loss. Obviously, Pittsburgh, they won. But you felt like, all right, they they didn't play well in back-to-back games. They're going to come home, and they're going to play well. At least I thought they were going to play well. They didn't. Okay, so I guess to some degree I was surprised by that. But not really. Like, okay, they scored 44 points. And I, and I, I don't know what the answer is. Now, the one bright spot, the one bright spot, and I, I'm, I, I'm stretching here, but I thought Merrick played well. Yeah. Oh, I. That was I the one bright agree. spot from Saturday. I I one hundred percent agree. I, I think that Merrick played a, a, another very good game, uh, very solid game. I think he's going to be a really really good player for this team next year, the year after. He looks like he's going to be a really good player, right? I, I mean, he he does a little of everything. He's got to be more confident in his in his shot. Uh, I was sitting in that in that back corner, Steve, behind the Virginia bench. And when Syracuse was coming my way on offense, first half, and yeah, you you could really see how far the Virginia defenders were sagging off of Dolajai, off of Moyer, off of O'Shea Brissett. Even I, I mean, they they had no confidence that they were going to shoot the ball. Uh, you know, so much so that they got the ball around the three point arc, and Virginia defenders had their arm outstretched, and there was still space. You know, between the the hand and the offensive player, like that, that's something that has to change. Those three, those three have to be even remote threats to shoot the ball, right? That's one of the underrated things that that has changed with this team is that O'Shea Brissett has gone from you know being you know we said at the beginning of the season this guy might be the second leading scorer on the team, and he was getting to the basket and he was getting to the free throw line, 
and he was such a threat on the offensive end. And that is one of the things that has changed is that, you know, and there are a lot of reasons for it, right? I mean, there are, you know, is he hitting the freshman wall? Is he, you know, less confident with his outside shot? Are teams figuring him out? Is it because they're going up against better opponents? Is Probably it a combination, combination of, of all of those? Right? Is, is it a combination of all of them? Which is, again, I brought this up to Jerry last week on the Jerry McNamara show. That's what he said. He said, Steve, frankly, it's, you know, it's probably all of these things. Um, they expect him to break out of this, you know, this slump. You know, and he's he's not shooting the ball great right now. But opponents know that they're sagging off him. They they don't want him to get to the free throw line, so they don't want him to drive. He's got to make shots, and right now he's he's not making his outside shot. He was one for four from three. Finished three for eleven from the field. Got to the free throw line once. He was two for two from the line. That's not going to cut. That's it. not his game. And so now, you know, we talk about playing three on five. It's kind of like two and a half on five right now, and you're playing better opponents. Right. It's problematic. I mean, it's this- a huge problem. I mean, we talk about O'Shea Brissett, right? And, and O'Shea, uh, whether you want to say it's all of those things or he's taking a step back, which might also be one of the factors, whatever it is, like you could say he's t- his production has fallen off from where it was at the beginning of the year. Matthew Moyer never developed into anything of a threat offensively. Uh, Pascal Chukwu has fallen off from where he was mid year, right? So when you factor all of that in, like, that's where the offense and went. Barrick had fallen off too until the last couple of yes. games. He's he's starting to come back in the other direction now, and maybe it's because Moyer was out and he knew he was getting extra time. In the last three games, he's played fairly well. Last two games, he's played fairly well. Um, they need those guys to turn it around though, because Battle and Howard have been there, and yeah, they both make mistakes and they both commit you know probably too many turnovers, but. They're doing their part in terms of the offensive workload. They need the other guys to do some things. And Brissett has taken a step back in his offensive production. Merrick had disappeared for a long time. I would say Chuku last four had, games, Dolashai has yeah, been right. He had BC the, and played, on. played well against BC. Um, Chuku has kind of you know had these games where he disappears as well. Moyer was a non-factor. I mean, there, there Saturday, were two, played 19 minutes, did not score. Two, two quotes from Jim Beheim that, that sum up. Moyer and Chukwu. One for Chukwu, he he was just like, you know, we told him get out on Hunter, and like he didn't. So if you're not going to score and you're not going to rebound and you're not going to play defense, there's not much you could do for us, right? And, and so that's why Dolajai was playing in the middle. And then he was asked about Moyer, and he was uh, he said, okay, like Merrick has been playing well, but it looks like Matt's healthy now. Do you think Matt is going to start again? Is he going to go back into the starting lineup? And he just looks down at the stat sheet and goes. Well, Matt played 19 minutes for us and went 0, 0, 0, 0, 0, 4, 0, 0. So, uh, yeah, Merrick's going to start. It's hard to argue. It is. But, like, doesn't that sum up where those two players are right now? Like, you don't know what you're going to get out of Chukwu day-to-day. You don't know if he's going to give you anything offensively and, like, he might not play defense very well. And Moyer's going to come in and do absolutely nothing but grab three or four rebounds? Like, doesn't that just sum up kind of like this season? Like, it players does. haven't progressed, players have regressed, players haven't gotten to where they've got to be, and, like, these two guys are going to combine for seven rebounds and no points in a game. I asked you last week, you know, at what point does this team hit the panic button? And we don't need to talk about that right now. I know we're up against the clock and we got to get to Adrian Autry. Um it's at least for I'm me. Close. It's yeah. It's it's getting close for me too. In terms of you know, at, at what point is the point of no return? And they're they're getting close. And I know they have a lot of opportunities coming up. They got to start taking advantage. I just don't know how they're going to take advantage of these opportunities if they continue to score the basketball like this. We do need to take a timeout. Keep it here.